0: podcast
1: Fighting in Sudan has led to a new wave of violence in Darfur. Thousands have fled to neighboring Chad to escape attacks by militias, and there are fears this could reignite tribal tensions in the region. So, what's fueling this violence? I'm Muhammad Hamza, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests now. In London, Maysoon Dahab, co-director of the Sudan Research Group at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And here in Doha, Abdul Wahab Al-Afindi, a former Sudanese diplomat and now a professor of politics at the Doha Institute for Graduate Studies. A warm welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us today on Inside Story. Uh, Abdul Wahab, let me start with you today. So the conflict began around Khartoum, the country's capital, but fighting has spread to many parts of the country. Why has Darfur become one of the main battlegrounds?
2: Uh, I think Darfur was the starting point for the militia, which is now uh, terrorizing Khartoum. Uh, They—and uh, before that, they were—there was conflict uh, from the 90s, unfortunately uh, helped rather than restricted by the former regime of Omar al-Bashir. Uh, between uh, uh, so-called Arab tribes, uh, which incorporated many uh, migrants from Chad, and the original uh, uh, inhabitants of Western Darfur in particular, the Masalit, uh, and the the tension uh, escalated when the the war started uh, in 2002. Uh, and later, when the, uh, uh, the government uh, 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 recruited the so-called Janjaweed, who are uh, more or less rogue uh, Arab uh, fighters, that's uh, uh, not called the Arab, it's more nomadic fighters, uh, who included also a large number of North Sudanese. Uh, what I think has, has been happening in Darfur now uh, Is that when the militia, uh, the the, uh, uh, the militia uh, of Hametti, uh, has started some some of these conflicts uh, during the past three years? I think from 19, uh, from to- 2020, uh, the uh, some of the uh, uh, the Arab component of residents uh, of Darfur, Have been engaged in uh, attacks on uh, the civilian population there. I mean, he himself uh, went to Darfur uh, allegedly to try to quiet things down. But uh, most people say he has been uh, uh, secretly supporting the the militia there uh, who have. Uh, Increased in power during the uh, transitional government, unfortunately, and who are armed with very heavy weapons, mm. uh, which uh, population they do not have a, a equivalent to. Uh, so I, I think now, mm. uh, with what happened in Khartoum, uh, maybe the um, the remnants of the uh, of the militia in uh, western Darfur wanted to impose. Their authority for fear that, uh, since people in the in that form, I think that the militia has weakened, mm. and try to uh, rise again, and this is where uh, what we see now.
1: Uh, Maysoon, I saw you nodding along to some of what Abdul Wahab was saying there, and it looked like you wanted to jump in. So please go ahead.
0: I, I um, We work with uh, community researchers across Sudan, and right at the beginning of this conflict, what has come across from our colleagues in Al-Janeena was quite vivid and speaks to what Abdel Wahab was saying. Um, I, if I can put it in their words, uh, what they say about the situation there is, um, to be honest, the situation is catastrophic and beyond description. Um, to them, the fact that Janaina and, and, and many inaccessible places in Darfur are, are a bit of a black box. Um, but what we do know about the impact is that not only is it wide-reaching and, 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 uh, and intense, but it is also um, compounded by the history of ethnic conflicts in Darfur. It, it speaks very much of a genocidal playbook that has just played itself out once more and as humanitarian researchers we study conflict the world over and to be honest we haven't seen anything like this before this is um in essence nothing short of a really a renewed genocidal campaign um unfortunately and, and perhaps the greater impact under cover of war
1: all right let's now bring in Hafiz Muhammad director of Justice Africa Sudan a human and civil rights research institute based in Sudan uh Hafiz um How much concern is there right now that decades-old tribal tensions could be reignited in Darfur? And and what would that mean going forward? Yeah,
3: the the problem is we we are actually back uh, to 2003, 2004 in terms of level of violence. And the violence that actually uh, targeting people according to the tribal and, and ethnicity. And it is very serious this time because we don't have a functioning government in Khartoum. I think uh, the militias are exploiting that actually to cause the maximum harm and damage uh, to uh, uh, some tribes in—some people in, in West Darfur. And that is a very dangerous situation now, because there is no government to protect them. And there's
1: total state of lawlessness
3: in, 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 in
1: Darfur. Uh ABDUL Wahab, is what is happening in Darfur right now a kind of a continuation of the war that broke out there in 2003 and ended in 2020?
2: uh well not that um, yes in a sense there is uh, the the same uh, partisans are uh, engaged but i think what is different here as uh, probably half is noted and we assume, uh, that uh, in the past the uh, the fight was between uh, at least armed groups uh what's happening i think in western Darfur is uh, mainly civilians are being targeted uh, by uh, the uh, the RSF, which was supposed was I think um, was put there uh, uh, in, in in the last few years as a kind of protection force. It is supposed to be uh, the police and the military there, and uh, it is. Uh, confronting unarmed people and massacring them in in an attempt to subjugate them. And I think this is an important uh, indication uh, that probably the IGAD and the other African mediators and international mediators do not seem to understand the real problem in uh, in Sudan at the moment. Uh, The real problem is that we have this rogue militia which uh, nothing can seem to uh, to deter it from uh, doing whatever it could want, Uh, like uh, uh, here killing people, taking their property. In Khartoum, they are also terrorizing the people, getting into homes, hospitals, uh, stopping people in the road, people disappear like that. And uh, the international community seems to think that Uh, by uh, what is needed is for the people who are fighting this uh, militia to stop fighting it, uh, hoping that if that happens, the militia will be tamed and just sit down and be nice to people. Mm. I think what is probably needed is more uh, firepower. Mm. Uh, I think uh, we should call for international intervention in Western Darfur at the moment. Otherwise, we'll be condoning genocide.
1: Uh, Maysoon you were speaking earlier about what you called a catastrophic situation uh, facing uh, uh, facing Darfur and I want to ask you more specifically uh, about just how dire the humanitarian situation is there
0: So in in my colleagues' words and I quote um, they say if this situation continues in Alggeneina it will be worse than you can imagine they say that it will be worse than the mass ethnic cleansings of past because there are multiple ways that you can die directly by a bullet, an untreated injury, or chronic disease, stuck in a burning house that you cannot leave, or of thirst. Even if you go out to get the water that you need to survive, you get killed. They are very emphatic that an urgent and large-scale humanitarian intervention is what is needed to save what is left.
1: Uh, Hafiz, as uh, you heard there may soon talking about uh, El Janina specifically and and I want to ask you about that because if we're looking at what's going on in in Darfur it seems like the violence in El Geneina started out as sort of an offshoot of the wider war in Sudan but but a lot of aid groups are now saying that it seems to have become a war in its own right why is El Geneina such a hot spot in the conflict right now
3: yeah because because there is um um conflict uh, based on Tribal and ethnic uh, line, and also at the same time, uh, land and 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 resources. And I think, and that I, I said, been going on for long. You know, uh, fighting around Jebel Moon and and this area, which is rich with minerals, and also the new settlers who actually came and took over the land of the indigenous Darfuri from Syria, uh, from uh, uh, Masalit and other uh, tribes. And the main reason for that, I think. It's clear it is ethnic cleansing with, with all its terms. It's totally ethnic cleansing because there are these people, they are already displaced. There's too many IDPs come and also refugees in Chad. And the, and, and and these militias are not actually uh, from Sudan. Also, they're coming from neighboring country, And there's a clear orchestrated campaign based on ethnic and tribal line and try also to confiscate the land. I think even people are talking about changing even the name of of, of uh was for different name, just take the the the, the word war four out of it. And I think that orchestrated and been going on. It's been going on uh, for a very long time and the uh, and increase because of the, the, the ongoing war on Fortum and that is actually fueling it more. And I think without having international or regional intervention in terms of uh, mm. peacekeeping to enforce and order. I don't think we'll see any peace in Darfur. And it's going to be even worse, worse than, maybe, I don't know to exaggerate, it, but it might be another Rwanda.
1: All right, so, so I want to take a step back for a moment. As we mentioned, the fighting in Sudan risks reigniting a decades-old conflict in the western Darfur region. In 2003, intercommunal violence began when the Sudanese government deployed the so-called Janjaweed militia to put down an uprising by tribal groups. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed. The UN says 2.5 million people were displaced. The conflict ended in 2020, but violent disputes between tribes sparked by land and access to water continue. The leader of the Rapid Support Forces, Hamad Hamdan Dagalo, rose through the ranks of the Janjaweed. Now, abdul let me ask you: as we mentioned there, the conflict may have ended in 2020, but violent disputes between tribes over land and access to water continue. Why has that continued?
2: Uh, I think the, the fighting between the groups Darfur had died down uh, for quite a while, uh, wasn't going on. I think the the uh, new configuration, especially in western Darfur, is that uh, while uh, in, in in the 2000s, uh, in the between 2000 until uh, 2013. Uh, The militias uh, were uh, small in number and were under control of the army, uh, or the security agencies, to be more precise, and their numbers were small. In the past uh, four or five years, uh, the uh, the, number—the militia was given a formal uh, uh, designation as Rapid Support Forces which was first part of the security uh, uh, apparatus and then it became part of the army and then it became independent of the army and it was given heavy weapons, which it didn't have in the past. It was given a kind of official, actually. It is now officially uh, a government force in uh, in Western Darfur. So it is supposed to be the protective uh, agency of the people there. But as happened, Khartoum has now turned rogue and is acting on its own account, not mm. for the state. And I think this is this is the danger we are in now, that because in the past four or five years,
0: mm. uh,
2: the military, the police, and, and all was weakened, and we have this uh, this kind of semi-official, uh, but mm. now rogue uh, militia, uh, I think and they these people have an agenda. their mm. agenda has been take over the land of the misalit and throw them out. Mm. and uh, uh, I think this is this is this is where the Rwanda example uh, has has arrived. Uh,
1: Maysoon thousands of people have been crossing into neighboring Chad to escape the violence. Uh, for those who are attempting to flee to Chad, how difficult and how dangerous is that Journey?
0: I will quote my colleagues again in in this. Uh, They said to try to move to a place of safety across the border within Sudan is, I quote, a suicide mission. It is incredibly difficult. And so many people do manage to get out, but at a great cost, many do stay. And because of the history of the conflict in places like El Jinena, the the populations tend to be concentrated in highly populated residential areas, which are deemed to be safer. And at the beginning of this conflict, those who weren't able to leave moved into large uh, ex-student dormitories to try to shelter, and those were shelled. Since then, there's an estimated 200,000 internally displaced within El Jinena, living in open air with no shelter, no safety. And... um, Uh, And I quote again, they say, every one of these heavily populated neighborhoods, um, when the militia enter, they burn it down to the ground, they rob and pillage, and they kill especially those who are unable to run, the elderly, handicapped, um, and the blind. And we've had, um, from our colleagues, um, reports of... um, Uh, violence against uh, women, especially gender uh, and sexual-based violence um, um, in terms of rape. Again, the decision to leave is difficult and fraught. The decision to stay—sometimes it's not a decision, you just have to um, stay—is deadly.
1: And Maysoon, I just want to follow up with you to ask about the kind of access that humanitarian groups uh, have been able to, to get. I mean, is that just not happening right now? Uh, is there any hope that there could be a humanitarian corridor set up or that humanitarian actors would be able to access the people who need aid and and medical help the most?
0: I can summarize the humanitarian access in wor- one word at the moment, which is none of there is no humanitarian access um, into Elginana even within the within the city itself just moving about to provide support for um, members of your own community can be deadly and so um, much of the response that is being mounted is very much a localized community-led effort and it is extremely hampered by the security situation you know colleagues described scenes of just stepping out of their house, putting a hand out or a foot out and being shot at by snipers. So what they're having to do, and also health workers are being targeted, what they're having to do in some places is operate what they call secret neighborhood clinics. These are clinics that are hidden from the outside that are only available um, to those who know how to get there and and are close to it. But this is of course not filling in the void in any way. So of course, um, we've asked, what is it that you need? And they said, what we need quickly and urgently is security. Um, a provision of uh, humanitarian corridors to provide basic health services, to provide established displaced people camps with full services um, to those folks. But the reality is that we don't know when that humanitarian corridor is going to be opened, and 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 that's mm. that obviously should be the focus, right? We need to push for that. There's no way around it. So long as people can step outside of their houses. No one is safe, um, not inside the Genena and no one coming in. So mm. what we want to call for is an ability to map those first responders to understand who is doing what, where, and calling really for the humanitarian um, health community to change tack and to change tack quickly. We need to adjust to the situation and support those first responders who are already on the ground by any means necessary. And I think in that case, they can take example from uh, civil society diaspora groups like mm the Sudanese union groups in the UK who have mobilized to support community-led initiatives in places like Lubayr and Halfa, providing whatever they can from a distance to mobilize those health caters that are inside um, the city and to get them through until those humanitarian corridors are open.
1: Hafiz, how much concern is there right now about unrest in western Darfur, destabilizing neighboring countries, uh, in particular Chad, for example? Oh, definitely definitely
3: the, the the magnitude of uh displacement and people actually moving to to chat chat itself have no um ability to to provide them support because uh the infrastructure in chat is. Is, is very poor and 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 uh, uh, the Chadian authority have said it clearly that uh, they are not able to provide the needed support for these people and 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 I see that clear if and if uh, the, the the conflict continues the same level and I think we will see more people fleeing to uh, Chad and. Central Africa, and these countries themselves are not stable. They have security problems, they have, um, you know, aid problems, and that is going to complicate the situation even more. I think that is why what I'm saying is we really need uh, um, uh, humanitarian protection for these people. Mm. Uh, speed humanitarian, humanitarian assistance to allow access for humanitarian workers to work and okay. also to protect them, because the main problem is, is now protection because most of the international agencies are working on humanitarian withdraw their staff because they cannot secure uh, them and they, mm. there is no access safe access to to get to these people i think what we need uh, need urgently if we want to at least to contain the, the this problem to some extent is to have force which provide protection for humanitarian uh, mm. workers and also to protect these refugees because it the, is the, the, the rain is coming And people are going to be a problem because sanitation is a problem, clean water is a problem, food is a problem, and then we will have illnesses due to uh, displacement and also rain because the rain is just going to start and Mm. that is going to complicate the problem even more. Urgent action is needed from the international community. Otherwise, uh, hundreds of thousands of people will lose their life.
1: Uh, Abdul Wahab, have any of the ceasefires that have gone into effect uh, up until now ha- have they done anything to lessen the violence in Western Darfur? And also, are there any concrete steps that can be taken in order to try to get things under control in Darfur? There should be unequivocal uh,
2: message sent uh, to the leader of the Gingerweed uh, that if this does not stop and stop now. And also, if he does not stop what he's doing in Khartoum, uh, occupying hospitals and people's homes and terrorizing people, uh, he should, his organization should be declared a terrorist organization and he should be hunted. I think this, this is the only way you can stop what's happening there.
1: Abdul, I'm sorry to bother you. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. We we just have a minute left. I want to ask Maysoon uh, one last question here. Uh, Maysoon. From your perspective, what has to happen in order to ensure that either a humanitarian corridor can be set up or that people who are most in need of aid can get it?
0: That's the million-dollar question. I will tell you that that answer has to come from external sources. The people of this region have been subjected to compound compound vulnerabilities. We're not talking about a war inflicted on yesterday or a month ago or two months ago. We go back 20 years. These are communities that have been brought down to their knees. And so their essential resilience and their ability to speak out and to to change things on their own is not there. And so uh, my colleagues have alluded to the fact that the external pressures are absolutely essential. They are trying to amplify their voices to describe what a hell on earth they are living in but they cannot be asked to do more than survive at the moment. And so to open these corridors, we need to continue to put the pressure externally and to make spaces where we can little and as incre- incre- incremental is, is a way forward. But I think in the meantime, let's be realistic. Those people who are on the ground and responding mm. as we speak need the support now. We cannot wait. And there are ways to be able mm. to do that. And we need to put our caps on and to follow the lead of civil society here, which have shown an incredible way forward.
1: All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Hafiz Muhammad Maysoon Dahab, and Abdul Wahab Al-Findi. This episode was produced by Gloria Wange al Umm Ummi Sharif, Fungi Nguyen, and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Deepak Pushkaran. The program was edited by George Joseph Linda Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next episode.
3: This week on The Take, we head back to Ukraine for the latest on a counteroffensive. That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.